Madly Forever is not only the exploration of how to cultivate the best possible relationship with others, but also how to find optimal alignment within oneself. Today, Taylor Eyewalker will give us insight into how she works with clients to step into their authentic truth, as well as how she found her own freedom through a traumatic breakup. Hi, I'm Jessie Delo, your host of Madly Forever, a podcast in collaboration with The Fullest. Each episode, I'll help people move past their vision boards to create a life and relationship that they truly love. I, sometimes along with the help of my husband, Brian, will interview a variety of experts, psychologists, couples, and business partners to discover the science and secrets to successful compatibility. By pairing my expertise for manifestation with my background in therapeutic healing, I have manifested the life of my dreams. With this podcast, I aim to help others find their optimal alignment as well. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Madly Forever. I'm here today with a really special guest, Taylor Eyewalker. And I'm really excited to introduce you guys to her incredible methods of healing. Hi, Jesse. So great to be here. So happy to have you here. So I discovered you actually on Instagram and I was drawn in and I looked at your website and I saw that you have a lot of different ways that you work with people. So do you want to tell everyone sort of what what it is that you do and how you help people? Absolutely. My My path of healing is first and foremost, based on intuition and what I see with each individual that comes in contact with me. But I have also found it really essential to have a method. And so the basis of my work is a method of how to uncover what isn't you, to connect to the creative force that is unique within each and every person unlock the power that exists inside of that creative force to find out how to authentically and uniquely express yourself as a human being here on planet earth. And so it looks different for everybody, uh, but I have lessons and uh, teachings by which an individual would explore the longer they work with me. We can go into detail with, with that, but that's kind of the little nugget of how awesome. I get I love into that. So it. stripping away what's not you to find the true you inside. Exactly. I love that because it's not about having to get something else or be something else. It's about uncovering what already is. Absolutely. And like one of my teachers, she would always remind me, there's nobody out there. There's nobody out there. Just when you think that there's somebody out there, or something out there, it's not out there. Hmm. And it constantly, and maybe that was just a teaching for me, hmm. but I'm pretty sure that's a teaching for everybody at our core. So if we remember to continue to turn inside and see what we are actually projecting as out there, we can actually transform any particular totally. experience. Totally. And not needing to be rescued, yeah. but being empowered to do something for ourselves. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So um, you have a academy, is that right? Called Uncoiled? Yeah. I, I work with individuals and groups and the, the business itself or the way that I work with people is continuing to evolve. So you're talking to me at a really big precipice of change and evolution inside of the Uncoil Method or the Uncoil Academy training program. So so what is it? Tell, tell us about it. What is the, the approach that you use there? Mm -hmm. So it all starts with personal integrity, personal responsibility, and getting very clear on who it is that you are, mm. right? Who, who was I as a child? Who was I as a teenager? Who am I as an adult? Is that who I really am? Or is that who people told me I should be? Mm -hmm. Or who I've been trained to be? Or what I've learned through my culture, my, uh, my environment, mm -hmm. my upbringing? 
And then we look at that very specifically. And because the one thing that I think about manifesting your dreams, manifesting your dreams is really important. We all somewhere inside have dreams that we want to work on and work through. But the thing that I've noticed is even if we're really good at manifesting what it is we want, it might not actually be coming from what it is we really want. And it might be coming from some sort of imposed ideology about what we think we want. And then we're never actually Mm -hmm. uh, satisfied when that thing comes into our life. Mm. And that's the hedonic treadmill, right? So we go back to, okay, who am I? Like, how can I strip away what was never me and look at what this, what this flower, this essence is that this fragrance that I have to emit. And because it smells sweet, that person that's you, it smells sweet. Anything Mm. that isn't really you, it doesn't smell so good. You know? Yeah. It's phony. You can sniff out phoniness. Exactly. Totally. I love all those questions you asked though. Those questions are so important. And sometimes we're just sort of going on this unconscious script and we don't take a moment to step back and say, wait, did I choose this? Is this who I actually want to be? Because we all have that opportunity, right? Right. In any given moment. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so that's how you work with people. And start. Yeah, and what brought you into this line of work? I I like to tell this story because I think back to when I was a kid and, and I could say, oh, well, after I finished art school, I realized that I wasn't satisfied in working in film and or, you know, that part, but that's not actually the truth because I, as I look back at my life, I look at the people and, and I'll give you a little tidbit. This is a side story, <laughs> but, uh, I was receiving this amazing healing from this woman named Anna at, uh, at Spirit Weaver's gathering. And she said, wow, I have never met someone that has so many amazing elders that has helped her create who it is she is at this time and space. And I said, that's really interesting that you say that because I've always had these incredible elder influences in my life. And I go back to remember my very first. Hmm. And her name is Marianne Wise. She's still alive and doing amazing things in the world. And she was my babysitter and my third grade teacher. Wow. And I spent a lot of time with her. And I remember going into her house and the smell of her house was of cedar. She never put on the heat. And it was very different from my home at my parents' house. So in the wintertime, it was always very chilly. But there was something that I really appreciated about the smell of cedar and juniper and fir and all of these sort of woodsy smells inside of her home because she was always diffusing essential oils and the temperature inside of her house. And when I would go into her extra room, which she did healings in, I noticed all of these yoga posters on the wall. And then I noticed all these Meridian system posters on the wall. And I was always extremely curious about them. Hmm. And we would ride around in her car. And she reminds me of me now because I'm always riding around (laughs) listening to podcasts or some sort of educational thing. And we would listen to tapes about health. And I remember very specifically the first little imprint I got about uh, toxic chemicals inside of household products and body products was when it was about eight years old and I learned about propylene glycol and oh, I was, you're lucky you got that I insight. know so I was eight going around my parents house being like that probably has propylene glycol in it that you knew before pro- most people <laughs> right right and this is in South Carolina this is where in you South grew up Carolina <laughs> where I grew up and and then you know the the story of my evolution unfolds and my mom always had a a penchant towards alternative healing. And so she would take me to kinesiologists and energy healers and uh, Reiki masters. And I always was really fascinated by it. And I started seeing an acupuncturist when I was just in a, like in my Mm preteens and throughout teenage. So I learned about these alternative uh, forms of healing when I was really quite young And then, of course, there's a time when we get out of it. And there was a time when I got out of it and became very focused on my art career and spent a good 
chunk of time uh, uh, creating a lot of damage and a lot of art and a lot of wildness and explored my deep down radical punk rock nature Mm -hmm. and (laughs) became uh really out of alignment but like in alignment at the same fashion because like unnecessary out of alignment yeah like aka fun aka fun (laughs) and i'm here to ruffle some feathers and be a radical and be rebellious and be punk rock and so that it was also a part of me it just the way that it expressed was not how I'm here to express reality mm-hmm. now not it, at this stage no right and so it brought me to look at myself a lot deeper and when I I I was practicing yoga so I was living in New York and Atlanta and I was practicing yoga and doing uh healing work uh but I didn't know that I would actually go into it professionally in any sort of manner. And when I moved to LA, it became very clear that the path of study was of the body, of the spirit, of the psyche, and of transformation. Mm. So I started down my journey and I have never stopped studying. And I am a Kundalini yoga teacher. And then I developed my own training methods after going through, you know, over a decade of trainings. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us about your yoga teaching? So you do tantric yoga, is that right? Yeah. I So initially I studied uh, tantric yoga and now I am a kundalini yoga teacher as taught by Yogi Bhajan. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also teach tantric healing work. I also teach uh, anything that needs to come up in a private setting. So, you know, a lot of it is about learning how to uh, use whatever is being magnified as a form of chaos in your life as the antidote to get through to the other side. Can you give us an example? An example. Because I love that idea. Right. That like the thing that's like causing havoc in your life is the solution. It's the solution. Okay. This is a good one because it's fresh. So I have a client and she said, she's been training with me for three years. And she said, what's coming up for me is that I'm getting so heady and so analytical. And the way that, that I'm relating to this training is that I'm thinking so much. And I said, do you consider yourself to be a heady analytical a bit of a neurotic person. She said, well, yeah, I do. And I said, well, my training is not meant to guide you in any particular fashion to become more heady or analytical or even to become more feeling. Uh, although that is the, the intention as well, but it's to become more contemplative. But she, and, and so I said, if it's magnifying something for you, it's what it is that is a proclivity already inside of you. If it's being magnified, you push through to the other side to actually see that that space that you're tapping into analytically, uh, the monkey mind, the chatter mind, you can actually kind of burst through that, that ball of tension to actually see that, that it's nothing and it's everything. And you can release that in a moment. Hmm. But it's like it's a concept of the mind that has to be broken through. So she's dealing with particular concepts of the mind. Right. Well, it reminds me of how you do anything is how you do everything. How you do everything. So something that seems totally unrelated that you should be approaching in a certain way. You can't fool your own, you know, way of being. It will come. It will peek its head out somehow. Right. Yeah. And then it's confronted in a situation like that where you can help her move through it. Right. And so. And, and only, and only that person has the ability to see the truth in that and choose to move through it and see what's possible or walk around it or wipe the hands of it. And maybe it'll come up at another time and another space and another occasion, right? But whatever's coming up for us it's going to continue to be that little tap on the shoulder and then it'll be like a push on the back and then it'll be a slap in the face and then it could be a car wreck. Right. Cause this is the lesson that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah. So until you pay attention to what's coming up and address it, 
it will just keep on getting stronger and stronger. Yeah. So that's tantric yeah. to me. So tantric. So I feel like a lot of people have a conception of tantric as it being related to sensuality and sexuality. Is there a piece of that or how, tell, can you tell me a little bit more? Absolutely. I mean, the core of our essence is, is sexuality, mm -hmm. it's sensuality, it's creativity. But ultimately, when people think about sexuality, they think about genitalia, right? Mm -hmm. That's the right. first thing that we go to because we have not been educated effectively mm. to understand our own relationship to our own sexuality. Totally. I mean, it's so bizarre. And... And so when I think about sexuality, I think about my pure creative essence and I want to be able to tap into every woman, every man's pure creative essence. That is the juice hmm. that keeps us alive, that keeps us uh, unique, that keeps us inspired. And so when I think about sexuality and when I think about tantric practice and sensuality, learning how to connect to that part of our, of ourselves is essential. For sure. And so um, in Kundalini yoga, Yogi Bhajan talks about this too. And I find that some people in the practice of Kundalini yoga can live a little bit higher up. And so I find it really important that we really tap into some of these basic parts of our animal nature and also start to kind of weed out any sort of dysfunction that we have within our own relationship to sexuality as well. Totally. So what would a tantric yoga practice entail to help someone? Like what are even maybe some techniques or breathing techniques that could help someone tap into that part of themselves? Yeah. So I work a lot with Mulaband squeezing the rectum sex organs. I work a lot with Uddiyana Band. So drawing the navel point back up and in so it creates levity, right? And when you work with these lower locks, it starts to kind of dislodge whatever is getting blocked down there. Breath practices like pumping the navel, using the breath of fire, those are effective. Things like uh, ret breath retention while pulling in those lower locks, working with anything with the base of the body. So the legs, the hips, and I, the way that I work with people is also very intuitive. So I look at the way they stand. I look at the way that their their hips are aligned. I look, I look at the way that they move in their body. Mm. And I will, and this is a, on a private session basis. And so I'll kind of guide them through that. And then I also do, of course, Kriyas as taught by Yogi Bhajan and meditations as taught by Yogi Bhajan. And I use them very specifically uh, and prescriptively for the individual. Um, but, but that is kind of how I find that I start to kind of dislodge whatever is going on inside of the lower part of the Yeah, the root human. chakra. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, yeah. So, so creating that energetic channel sounds like and getting rid of anything that's lodged in the way of preventing it from flowing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we get so afraid to, to connect with our, our genitalia as well, men and women. It's like, you know, touching ourselves or being a part of ourselves in that way or blessing ourselves in that way, or, or just giving attention to ourselves in that way is almost taboo or look right. as odd or secret. We don't want to share too much right. of ourselves. And so being able to kind of uh, be comfortable with opening ourselves up to ourselves in that way is really essential. And I think also being a woman who's comfortable guiding someone through that process is, you know, really commendable and also really rare because I think working with men and women in that capacity takes you really knowing yourself really well and having you know, clear boundaries and not being afraid, right? Right. Absolutely. Because, you know, people could get confused. Right. Does that happen sometimes? It has never happened. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It has never happened. Well, you clearly create that, you know, safe container. Yeah. I've, I mean, I, I get the opportunity to do healing work on people regularly. And uh, the comment is it feels clean. It feels hmm. pure. It feels clear. 
Mm. And as long as I can continue to clear myself as a vessel in that way, that is the way that I want to work with people because I want to establish a ground of safety. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I know we had spoken a little bit about your own personal relationship and how it had evolved and changed and ultimately ended up in a separation, but also the closest you've ever been at the same time. So I'd love to get some more insight around that. And maybe someone else who's going through a transition in their own relationship could benefit from hearing your story. Yeah. So I was in the most uh, traumatic, heartbreaking, intense relationship of my entire life where every single fear was confronted in real time, in reality. And there were times when I was just gripping and grinning and bearing my way through that relationship. And, and I felt at times really tortured. And when I continued to look inside of my own torture, I realized that there was a very profound gift in there for me because whatever I learned on a concept basis of what relationships are supposed to look like or how men are supposed to treat women or how women are supposed to treat men, I think was distorted, Hmm. was uh, dysfunctional in some way. I think most of us have learned a a dysfunctional way of relating. And uh, until we find out what's authentic for us. And so I knew that there was going to be a really big push through the other side if I learned how to work with myself through this relationship. And and so the things that were coming up within the relationship, you wanted to push through with this other person rather person. than getting away from it. Yeah. I didn't run away from it because my tendency was to have one foot in the door and one foot out the door because as someone with like, you know, seven seven planets in the house of Aquarius, I'm like in my spaceship. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and yet in so much Libra, I, I just love relating. I Mm -hmm. find it to be very important to relate. It's like the essence of why we're here Mm -hmm. is relationship. Mm -hmm. And I had never really stuck through something really uncomfortable before. And so when I stuck through that and You know, to be really honest, I explored relationship dynamics that were really uh, uncomfortable for me, where I had wanted so deeply for someone to claim me, and I never fully got that. And um, I explored open relationship dynamic, much to my uncomfortability, Mm -hmm. I explore monogamous relationship dynamic, uh, much to my concept comfortability, Mm -hmm. but exploring all of them, none of them really got me to my essence until I finally figured out that everything that I was exploring with that person was just getting me closer and closer to the truth of who I am as a person. And it wasn't about working it out to find a way to live with this person for the rest of my life and happily ever after and get married and have the kids. It was about what's really uncomfortable, Taylor, What can you look at inside of yourself that you don't want to look at? What can you face that is like your biggest nightmare and actually realize that you can get through it because it's not actually a nightmare. It's all a mechanism of your own mind, all of it. And so I faced the biggest nightmares. I was quote unquote cheated on. I was quote unquote lied to, but you know, I needed that for whatever reason, for my own personal experience, I needed to have that. And it helped me get closer to see how I was living out of integrity with my own truth. Yeah. And I'm sure it gives you (laughs) insight into how to help others. Oh my gosh. Like if you hadn't gone through that, maybe you couldn't have gotten to the perspective of someone else's mind. Cause it's so easy to be like, Oh, of course you shouldn't do that. But you were actually experiencing 
that and just going through it to see what it was like. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. And and no teacher or, or you know, all these teachers are like, your boundaries, you must respect your boundaries, your heart knows. And I agree with them. But whatever I needed to experience in that rite of passage, because it was a rite of passage, that relationship, it had to be done because I wouldn't be able to sit here today and say, oh my gosh, the the Shakti, the juice, the the feminine flow of energy is 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 emerging from me in a way that I have never experienced before. And my capacity for love is so boundless and so needless and so concept free that now I can create something real. Hmm. And so whatever that looks like with whatever beautiful human that gets the opportunity to come into my life, I'm thrilled to see how we can crystallize together. Hmm. Because becoming free of my own concepts about what relationships should look like was was the most amazing thing that I could ever experience. And it sounds like from what you described that your fears, you needed to bring your fears into fruition for you to move past them. Absolutely. Like maybe fears that you had witnessed as a kid and you were, you sort of had to attract them to then move through them Mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't be like binding you. Absolutely. And remember that I was not a victim to this situation, mm-hmm. right? Because we as human beings can easily go into, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. It wasn't right, you happening to it. me. Yeah. It was happening for me. Yeah. It was happening for me to see what sort of projection I was putting out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. through my subconscious mm-hmm. filament. Right. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people are whether we we realize it or we dial in on it or not, we are creating our own experience. Yeah. We are zoning in on what we want to perceive, even though it's not what we consciously necessarily want to perceive, but our subconscious wants to encounter it, to grow. Exactly. And that's why my teacher, oh, and I would go back to it. There's nobody out there. There's nothing out there. I was listening mm-hmm. to this really interesting uh, thing the other day, and I wonder if you've heard of it actually where this neuroscientist was actually talking about the question, which is still in question, still in discovery, if human beings have any sort of instinct at all. Hmm. Meaning that women, we're women, we're all sitting here as women right now. We actually, if we get pregnant, we don't actually know inherently without being taught how to have that baby, right? how to have that baby. Maybe women ancestrally many, many, many years ago would think to squat, right? Mm-hmm. And would feel to squat. Maybe that's the way that the Have child Have you seen the recent Handsma- Handmaid's Tale? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I encourage you to watch it. Okay. <laughs> and go ahead. I mean, but, it- but yeah, no, I think, I think that, that we would absolutely know what to do. do. I absolutely think so. But, but I think that, I think that we are so reliant and for good reason on all the resources available to us. But I think that if we were left with no resources, right. Our intuition would kick in tenfold. You know, I believe that too. And here's, here's the comparison that this neuroscientist, and and, and I'm going to, I'm going to say, this is what I heard from the neuroscientist, not what I believe, Okay. but posed as a question Birds inherently know how to build a nest mm-hmm. without ever being exposed to building a nest. They know to do it. They know how to do it. It's a part of them. It's literally encoded inside of them. They also know their song. The, the same type of bird knows the type of song that that bird will sing. Doesn't even have to be in habitat with mm. that same bird. It inherently knows the song that it is meant to sing. But the point in question is that humans may not have that same proclivity towards the inherent knowingness of what it is they're here to do as a mechanism of a human. And so it's almost as if this neuroscientist was saying, we are truly 
a result of our circumstances, our culture, our ancestry, our upbringing, our programs, our friends, our communities, our family, our food. We are so absorb, absorbable. We absorb so much through this world that we experience that we become a part of that, whatever we let in. Totally, totally. And also it's just because the existential question of why are we here is unanswerable, really. I mean, it's different in every case, whereas a bird, they might not have that question. So they know what they're supposed to do. It's programmed. But us, it's like the world is our oyster. What do we want to do? We have a million options. How do we want to make a difference? You know, it's like we have to create our purpose rather than inherently, you know, necessarily knowing it. And so this comes from the complex brain that we've been given, that we have to know how to access and utilize. And so how do we do that? I found that kundalini yoga practices and writing practices Mm -hmm. and self-analysis are my biggest tools Mm. to support me in connecting to my higher technology Mm -hmm. of the brain Mm -hmm. because when I don't self-assess I can become I can continue to move through the motions right we do the things day by day and we forget what happened 10 days ago because it was 10 days ago if we don't stop to slow down to self-assess and break down, well, how did I consider that? Mm -hmm. How did that situation benefit me? How did that situation uh, create challenge for me? How, what was my participation in this part of this communication, like that sent a downward spiral into this weird argument or whatever the thing was, right? I totally agree. I think journaling and keeping a log and just so you can reference it too, and you can make your days sort of like a like a, a classroom, like, okay, what happened today? What happened today? How can I do better tomorrow? What did I do really well today? Yeah. So what types of writing do you do? Are there certain prompts that you really suggest your clients use? Yeah. The way that I break down the writing work is really through the emotional body, agreements, communication style and communication practices, how did I live today? What is my vision for life? Am I on track of all of my dreams and all of my projects and all of my personal goals? Have I completed anything that is still this little hanging thread that is draining on my energy? And those are some of the ways that I get people to break it down. Because if we look at all of these little areas of life and everybody has their own personal way that they're expressing through these categories, we can get really, really clear. And that's going to create a sense of foundation and fortification and sense of self that we have never had before. Because in school, we were never taught to look at ourselves. We were taught to study history. We were taught to study math. We were taught to study science, but we never studied the self or humanology. Never the lens through which we're seeing everything. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really a great point. And you said um, agreements as one of the subjects. What is that in reference to? So what does it mean to come into agreement within and without? Like, what is your inner yes? Can you hear the sound of truth whenever you say yes to something? If you cannot hear the sound of truth, which is clear and silent, without noise, then you're not in agreement. Hmm. Anything that is not free and anything that you say yes to and the resounding sound of your voice penetrates through to the other person where they can feel that too, that's the truth. Hmm. And so I want to help people learn how to create clear agreements within within themselves and with other people 
So when someone's conflicted around something, which often most people might not have a resounding yes about everything, they can see both sides to everything, right? They're like, if I do this, it'll have some pros, it will have some cons, I'm gonna sort of debate it, what's the better choice? So when there isn't a super clear yes, how does one go move forward, feeling I, confident and clear? Yeah, okay, so my one of my teachers said to me, three things that you really only need to know. Yes, no, let me get back to you on that, <laughs> on this date. Those are the three things. So if you're a person that is lingering between two possibilities, you may linger between these two possibilities until you can actually get clear on what direction to go. I lingered through the possibility of staying in my particular home for a couple of years. I was like, well, I could go back here. Well, I could do this. Mm -hmm. Well, I could do that. And finally, I was like, oh, here's the push. Here it is. Okay, I'm grounded. I'm making the choice. November 1st is the date. And here goes into the great big abyss of possibilities. <laughs> yeah, so you decided that you were going to take the leap because I'm sure part of you didn't know that that was the right move. Yeah. To You said you put everything in storage, right? I'm going to put everything you're in storage. going to put everything in storage and you're going to live in a different way than you've been living. Yes. Yeah. And that's, I've never done that before. With the exception of a couple years of my 20s in LA, mm -hmm. But this is going to be a new chapter mm -hmm. because I know that there's something that wants to come through and supernova and I need to have the space. I want to have the space to do that in my life without everything that I have created. Without lots of responsibilities mm -hmm. that take away from that mm -hmm. freedom of your mind. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So it's okay if you're unable to make a decision at this moment. I understand. I've been there. And it's also okay to feel yourself moment to moment and, and say, I don't know what to do at this time. But remember, I don't know always means I don't want to think or I don't want to go there. And it's okay to not want to go there at that moment. Mm -hmm. We have to be totally okay with not wanting to go there because maybe our nervous system's over, you know, it's too overloaded. Maybe we have too much responsibility. Maybe there's a lot happening and giving ourselves a lot of space to be okay with not knowing in this moment, but knowing that we know inherently and mm -hmm. we just need to create the space to find out what that deep inner knowing is. Right. Because that's power, right? To know that we always know, but we don't have to know right now. Yeah, that it's in there. Yeah. And so what are some tools that people can get more ready to, to address that? Mm. Very practical tools are wake up in the morning before you touch your electronics. Blast yourself or touch your body, right? Touch every part of your body and just say, bless, bless. Use your hands. Your hands are very healing. You have healing powers inside of your hands and you bless and you bless and you bless and you thank your body and you thank your body because the veil between sleep and awake is very, very thin because the conscious is still, uh, the subconscious is still very strong in the sleep state. And so the, if the first thing we do is we wake up and we bless and we bless and we bless this day and we see this day and we see our body and we witness ourselves, we get up out of bed and we do a practice. For me, it's kundalini yoga meditation. I spend anywhere from 31 minutes to two hours in my morning of practice, depending wow. on the day. I have... I have meditations that I have been doing every single day for four and a half years that have totally grounded me to my core. And is that a mantra or? It's a mantra. It's a breath. It's a navel pump. And uh, it's an eye gauge or a drishti, that one meditation. 
So it, it's known as the the most powerful meditation or all the highest type of yoga of all 20 types of yoga is what Yogi Bhajan said. It's wow. called the Sudarshan Chakra Kriya. Can you repeat that one more time? Sudarshan Chakra Kriya. Mm, good to know. Mm-hmm. And You've been I, doing that for four and a four half years. Four and a half years. Wow. And what are the effects for you? Mm. I became much more grounded. I became much more uh, in my activities, but not of them. Mm. Right? So I was participating in them, but I became free of the attachment of them. Fully participatory with more of a neutral standpoint. I walk through life with much more peace, neutrality, and it has supported me in cutting through some inner darkness Mm -hmm. that we all have. Mm -hmm. And I love the darkness. I Mm. appreciate the darkness. I love that part of our shadow because it has a lot to teach us. Yeah. And that's also a lot of creativity, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you told me that you're going to do a training in Costa Rica. I am. And I'd love to hear more about it and how you're going to expand your healing practice through that. I am leaving for Costa Rica, uh, Puerto Viejo, which is where I'm going. And I'm studying to administer a particular medicine called Combo. And it is, it is, from the Amazon. So it's an Amazon Amazonian tree frog poison. And it is a non-psychoactive, non-psychedelic. I'm going to repeat that, my friends. <laughs> okay. We don't need to get out of our bodies. We or don't our heads. need to get out of our bodies or our heads to become more of who we are. This medicine, from my personal experience, has brought me closer to my ground closer to my anchor inside and it does not take me outside to the cosmic realms because that's easy for me to go to that's that's my nature and it has brought me closer to my own core and my own power and the way that it works is that it is burned through the first layer of the skin wow and it, where, where does it go? Anywhere you want it to go. And as a practitioner, I will apply it either through the traditional places on the body for man and woman. So the ankles or the shoulders, uh-huh. I prefer the chakras or the meridian systems. Hmm. And so it's body. literally burning, like, like burning you- a hole. Wow. On the first layer of your skin. And it heals. Is there a scar? Sometimes there's a scar for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So far, mine have all sort of healed. Mm-hmm. But, How many times have you done it? Oh, I have done it about 20 wow. something times. And is it different every time? <sighs> what is revealed afterwards tends to be different every time. But it is a very straightforward medicine. Walk us through it. What is it like? What's the experience like? Okay. It can be a little scary because it is very uncomfortable for some because you are literally applying a poison, which acts like a virus to your body. And if anybody knows anything about anything about vaccines, mm-hmm. vaccines, you're getting a little bit of the right. virus mm-hmm. to build the antibodies, you know. Vaccines are in question, of course, and we won't go there today, <laughs> but uh, you're, you're building, you're getting a little bit of that virus to build the antibody so you can build your stronger immune system as to be able to fight that disease. And so the idea with this poison is that you are building antibodies for your immune system by applying this poison and it acts like a virus to the system. And the story goes is that it goes into the physical body, yes, and it helps you purge out whatever weaknesses you may be experiencing. So a lot of people use this for chronic illness, chronic fatigue, limes, um, autoimmune issues. Right, because what you're describing is sort of similar to the effects of what I've heard about fasting, like starving out the 
like cancer cells yes. or toxic cells, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is exactly what is happening. I actually have a woman in my life who has had breast cancer and she has con- re- continually received combo treatments and, and has totally transformed. Huh. It is profound, profound, profound. And you said it addresses the lymphatic system? It goes through the, the lymphatic system. So as we know, the depository system actually does not have its own waste releasing mechanism. And so we go into the, the poison goes into the lymphatic system and starts to pull things out of the system. So a person with a heavy toxic load might need to do combo many, many times while they start to release some of their toxicity. This helps a lot of people that has drug addiction Hmm. because it helps us get rid of our addictive mind nature as well, but also helps pull out some of those toxic loads that a person has been placing inside of their system. It's so interesting how a poison would do that. I know. It's, it's, it seems counterintuitive, right? I know. It's, it's nature, right? It's this And odd... so how did they discover this? You know, I don't actually know how they discovered this in the Amazon way back when. But uh, it's been used as an original practice for the warriors of the Amazon to go out and hunt in the jungles for their food and it would make them undetectable to their prey and more sharp, clear and focused to be able to get what it is that they were hunting for. And that's after, after receiving the medicine, even in the state of having it in them or after it's moved through their system. So I'll clearly go through it. Yeah. The medicine is actually applied only for about 20 to 40 minutes. Okay. The body goes through a purge. A person usually purges through vomiting. It's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Some people don't vomit. Some people cry. Some people shake. Some people pass out. Some people have the lower intestinal release. Mm-hmm. But everybody has some sort of release and experience that level of discomfort. The medicine is then uh, removed from the body. You no longer feel the discomfort of the body going through that sick sort of feeling. Your body would want to take a little bit of a rest. And within 30 minutes to one hour, you may feel, if you don't have a heavy toxic load, that you could go climb a mountain. Wow. You would feel so strong, so clear, so capable. And that's why I believe that it's the next stage of performance enhancement and why I'm especially interested in working with people to enhance their own performance as teachers, as healers, as athletes, as musicians, as guides, or whatever it is they want to perform better in. I feel that it can support us in getting to that place. And if you have the question, do you have to constantly do that to continue to keep your performance up? The answer is no. And that's why I, I explored this within my own self. So I said, okay, I'm going to go through a period of really detoxifying my body in a totally different way. I've gone through food detoxes. I've gone through cleanses. I've gone through years and years and years of deep kundalini yoga and tantric yoga practice. And now I'm going to try Additionally, adding combo to detox my system of the emotional uh, uh, dis-ease, the mental dis-ease, the physical dis-ease, the spiritual dis-ease, and see what happens. So I went through a period. And then I said, okay, this period is now complete for me. I'm going to give it a rest for about eight months and see what that's like. And those eight months provided so much power, so much resilience. My immune system has been so strong. I haven't gotten sick a day since I started doing it. And I have, uh, my workouts have increased. My mind sharpness capacity has increased. And I never experienced a lull because I kept up what helps me keep up. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like Your I practice. went back to some sort of weird behavior patterns right. or unhealthy lifestyle. I kept my practice up. 
My health, my food choices were great. My health was good. I was hanging out with people that were uplifting and beautiful. And, and I did not experience any sort of a slip of the slip of the healing, right. if you will. And so you said afterwards you would have like a different insight every time. And so how does that appear for you after doing this? Is it like you get uh, just a download or what does that look like? Wow. It's so basic, actually. I realize, oh my gosh, my relationship to food feels different. I never thought that I needed to change my relationship to food because I have a really healthy relationship to food, but my relationship to food feels different now. Hmm. My relationship to need feels different. My relationship, it's, it's all about this sort of feeling-based relationship where I was able to see and experience things and my body in such a new light hmm. that I felt so fully self-sustainable and self-generating in a way that I had never felt before, even through all of my yogic practices. It's really interesting. So by clearing out the lymphatic system and all the programmed emotional trauma and maybe mental belief systems, yes. you were able to, yeah, just surpass, you know, your limitations. Yeah. That's a really great way to consolidate it. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, how common is this? Like how, how uh, is it you know, common in your friend circle? Do a lot of people that you know do this? Or is this something more, you know, niche that you feel like you kind of stumbled upon? I do feel like at this time it is a bit more niche. Mm -hmm. I do also feel at this time that it's gaining some popularity because people are finding the need to get more and more inside of their bodies. Mm -hmm. I do not find that there are many practitioners that have been trained by the group that I'm going to be trained by. I'm being trained by the only internationally sanctioned combo practitioner association in the world. Wow. And they work with people on a um, psychological and clinical type way. Right. Like you hear about this with ayahuasca yes. all the time, but I feel like this is a little bit more, I mean, the fact that it's not psychoactive. Exactly. is very different. Exactly. It does not take you out of your body or out of your reality. It gets you into your body and into your reality. And ayahuasca, you know, that plant, I, I praise and bless. And I'm so grateful for all the plants that we have the opportunity to learn from. And it's a vine. What does a vine do? A vine looks for something to grow on. So the energy of that particular medicine is looking, it's looking for a host. Hmm. Like parasitic. It's a bit parasitic. And so it will almost create patterns. And this is just my intuition. Mm -hmm. And actually what I have learned personally through doing that medicine a very long time ago, because I did study with that plant mm -hmm. a long time ago, many, 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 many times. And she taught me that, that, you know, you're not here to host me. You're here to be in sovereignty. This is not your path. You're here to purify. And so, you know, it has an agenda. Yeah, and that agenda is okay. If people want to get on board with that agenda, go get on board with that agenda. That's just not my path here mm -hmm. on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And the people that I want to work with are the people that want to gain more power, more authentic, authentic freedom, more sovereignty, more grace, more humility, and actually make the world a better place by being exactly who it is they are. I love that. So if you could leave people with like just some, you know, the advice that you give all your clients or like the just little nuggets that are like your go-to sort of cure-all for, you know, feeling your best, what would you say? Things that they could add or integrate into their lives or into their relationships. Okay, I really like this simple math equation that Yogi Bhajan talks about, and then I'll, I might be able to say some more things after that. Great. Okay, so he said, oh gosh, I have to remember the simple math equation. <laughs> Living 10% below budget. 
Okay. Mm. So living 10% below budget will save you a lot of stress. Oh, I love that. Right? I think that's such a good one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And making sure that you spend at least 15 minutes a day for yourself, 15 to 20 minutes a day for yourself. Okay. This means if you have kids, if you have a big family, if you live with a bunch of people, whatever it is you're doing, that you go and get that time to just be you and just do you. Recharge. Yes. Yeah. Spend 15 minutes in the morning to contemplate your day, create your day. Okay. What it is, what is it are you, that you are going to do today that is going to create your experience? So mold it, shape it. And then 31 minutes for your meditation. Why 31? 31 minutes for the meditation gets into the psyche and in the subconscious in a way that creates a baseline change for the habits and patterns and structures of the way that your neurology and your cells work. And it actually starts to uproot those things and the meditation will start to go in and work deeper. So we call it a baseline. 31 minutes is like a baseline in Kundalini yoga. Hmm. And I've heard that 4 a.m. is the optimal time. Is that right? Yeah, 4 a.m. to 7 (laughs) a.m., the Amrit Vela hours. Is that what time you meditate? Sometimes. (laughs) I mean, Godspeed. I could never, but I mean, maybe one day when Amelie gets me up super, super early. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was funny. I was having trouble sleeping the other night for some strange reason. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's three in the morning. It's like, I guess it's time to do my sadhana. And I remembered this client that I have. Uh, She's also a Kundalini yoga practitioner and teacher in New York City. And she told me her schedule. She stays up until Amrit Vela and does her sadhana before she goes to sleep in the Amrit Vela and then sleeps five hours and then starts her day. Wow. I mean, that's a good way of doing it. I was so impressed. She's such an incredible, creative, eccentric mystic that I was so impressed by her. I know. I love hearing people's routines. Yeah. I think routines are so fascinating. Mm -hmm. What's your routine? What's your morning routine? Okay. It depends. If I have early morning clients, it shifts a little bit, but I always wake up in the morning and I meditate. I always wake up in the morning and I contemplate my day. I contemplate myself. I see what energies want to come through for me today. And I see who comes in, in terms of clients, in terms of, uh, uh, spiritual, uh, friends in my life. I see who comes in to kind of talk to me. So I do connect with my guides, my ancestors. I connect with my teachers And I I really connect to uh, what it is that wants to give me information that day. And uh, then I may sit for tea. So I do serve tea ceremony. I do sit for my own tea ceremony. I I want to go to one. I'd love to have you. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And I, so I may sit for tea if I don't have an early morning client. And that is a very precious time for me to empty and sit with no mind no nothing, no, you know, no particular practice other than to just sit and receive the spirit of the leaf. And, or I may not have the opportunity to do that that morning. And it may just be the cold shower, the meditation, the connecting with the self. But I always do that first thing. And I always create my day. I always write about my day. And at the end of the day too, friends, really important to look at your day and say, you know, maybe it, you, maybe you break it down in my uncoiled training method program. Maybe you study with me or maybe you find your own way to explore your own psyche, but write about it. What did you, what did you do? How could it have been more effective? How could you have made more of an impact? What actually didn't go the way that you wanted it to? It's exactly what I, what I do and what I prescribe to my clients as well. It's like a bookend for your day. It's yeah. like feeling your life, really being conscious and aware and present and taking that, you know, that idea that I create. Yeah. It doesn't happen to me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's such a, 
you're such a bright light and it's such an honor to have you. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. It's so nice to share in conversation and get to know you too. Yeah. So I appreciate thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And how can everyone find you if they want to know more? I'm on Instagram at Taylor Eyewalker. It's a E-Y-E-W-A-L-K-E-R. Taylor, like you may always see it spelled, <laughs> like Taylor Swift or whatever. <laughs> and I have TaylorEyewalker.com. I have lots of things coming out in this the final stages of this year. And I have a big training academy launching next year, digital programs, sign up for my mailing list. That's the best way to get information about what it is I'm doing. Um, come to class with me. Come to my speakeasy. (laughs) You know, I do these monthly parties called the Kundalini Speakeasy. Where are they usually? They're in Long Beach at a studio called Go Inward. And I do two and a half hour long deep dives So lecture, workshop, and then I get an amazing chef to come serve an incredible dinner. No way. This is amazing. Yeah. We have kombucha. What? And then music is is God to me. And so I create these playlists for the evening and we have dance parties. I'm coming. Yeah. Sign me up. They're so fun. So they happen every month and they're called the Kudalini Speakeasy. You should do one over here in Santa Monica. Yeah. It's happening. Yes. It's happening. Mm -hmm. I feel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, thank you again, Taylor. We'll see you guys next time.